Hi, I'm Ariel. And I'm Twinning. And you're listening to Breaking Through the Podcast. Welcome back to the final episode of season one, Breaking Through the Podcast. We did it. We actually did it. I'm like really sad, but because it's ending and I don't get to see your face every every week um, for a bit, but I am so proud of us. I can't believe it's the last episode. I can't believe we did it. I know. <laughs> I know. Look at us. The little, the little baby that could. This this is a this is a breakthrough moment right here for it us. It really is. <laughs> I learned so many new skills from this podcast. I learned that I cannot spell quickly. I learned that it's really <laughs> hard to edit out likes and ums. Uh, and swear words. And swear words. Yeah. Which mainly came from me, guys. But I left some in cuz you got to let per- you got to let people be who they are, you know? <laughs> I'm not sure my mom would agree with that. Stop swearing on that podcast. Um, (laughs) Anyway, today's guests are truly multifaceted. Not only are they business owners and entrepreneurs, they're also focused on giving back to their community as much as possible. I love them so much. They're just the best. I love these guys. I mean, their company is changing the songwriting game and creating more opportunity for up-and-coming writers than ever before. Our guests have very unique and different paths that led them to starting this company together. One's a veteran who suffered a traumatic brain injury while deployed, and the other is the definition of a risk taker and an entrepreneur. Both have had to overcome quite a lot in order to get where they are today. Please welcome Richard Casper and Kevin McCarty, creators and owners of We Should Write Sometime. We have a lot to cover today because you've both had such big journeys that have led you to developing. We should write some time. The common bond between the two of you is your love and pursuit of music, and you came to it in different ways. I want our listeners to hear the beginning of music for both of you because it really is the driving force behind all the good that you're doing in the world right now. Um Kevin, let's start with your experience in music. It's a really relatable story, and it's the foundation of where you are now. And then, Richard, I really am excited for the audience to hear your story because it's so unique, and it's a very powerful story. Both of your stories are powerful. So, Well, thanks. Yeah, super excited. Uh, so my story of music is probably pretty standard where I picked up a guitar at you know 13, forced my little brother at 13 to just start listening to me try to play you know the g chord and transition to a d chord and then him get really mad at me because i was terrible um and then i'd be like dude can you can you figure out this song and he's like no stop doing this uh but i loved guitar early on and uh played you know all through high school did a couple you know those battle of the band things and then got fortunate enough to room with uh, one of my best friends at Miami of Ohio, his name was John Jeanette, and uh, he was a phenomenal keyboard player, phenomenal singer. So I wrote his coattails all through college. So I 
you know, we dormed together freshman year, started playing and like, you know, it was just the guitar and him singing and playing keyboards. And we were doing these little events in college. They paid us like 50 bucks one time for this event. And we went back and we were like, they just paid us to play music. This is crazy. <laughs> um, and so it kind of started from there, met up with another friend that I knew in Cincinnati that played at Miami. Um, and we started like a band together called Rum Runners. And it was so much fun, right? Like we were, weren't 21, but played at this 21 and over club. And we were allowed like 10 people on the list to, to watch us play. And so I felt really cool at the time to be like, Hey, who wants to get on this list? Um, you know, looking back now, I'm like, wow, I was awful. Um, but anyway, so it kind of progressed through college and so fun. And, you know, we like eventually played, uh, every weekend and a lot of cover songs, pretty much any fun cover song you could ever think of. Um, and so had a blast and I would, I, loved playing music and I loved writing songs with John. And I think there's something about, um, you know, getting to the, our, our story of why we do it now. Like there's something incredible when you write a song and then the people listening to you are singing that song back to you, even if it's one person. Right. And it's just like, wait a minute, this is, you actually like this song. Uh, there's something crazy, crazy good feeling about that. But um, you know, after college, I loved business and I loved technology and I loved music as well. But I, you know, stopped playing music to pursue what I thought was the normal, like, hey, now you got to go get a real job. And that was a, a journey in itself. And I learned a lot from that. But um, that's kind of the early parts of that music journey. So I'll stop there so I don't keep going too far. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's like... It's a really important foundation though, right? Because it led to so much of your story. And I'm really excited for Richard to share his music journey also, because it's just... I mean, it's a standard one. <laughs> totally normal. Everyone's been through it. You guys haven't been through that? Uh, so yeah, <laughs> mine is a unique one, I guess. So I've been told. Um, but I was not into music. I was not into arts. I was not into any of that stuff. I was just, you know, from a town of 1,100 people, a farming town where art and music weren't really options for anybody growing up. And uh, I joined the Marine Corps when I was 18 years old, went straight off to uh, where I, I thought I was going straight off to war because I joined in 2003 and uh, I ended up getting selected for a secondary job, which was also awesome, but it, it left me from going to war for about three years. And so it wasn't until three years into the Marine Corps that I ended up uh, going overseas to Iraq. But right before that too, there's been two times in my life where I thought it'd be cool to learn guitar. And that was pretty much just to impress chicks. Um, and both times had failed. And that's an important thing to know because, uh, after I went to Iraq, I ended up, my Humvee was blown up four separate times, which led to a left traumatic brain injury. And my buddy was shot and killed beside me. And so when I transitioned out of the Marine Corps, I didn't know how to deal with myself. And I had a brain injury. I had PTSD. I had, I was like a recluse. I couldn't do anything I would physically throw up if I had to go to uh, class or go to meetings. And so I became like this just shell of a person, not knowing how to express myself, how to get these things off my chest. And it wasn't until I had this idea that I wanted to tell Luke's story. And Luke is my gunner who was shot and killed. And I said, he was too good of a person for people not to know about him. But here I am, six foot five combat Marine. And I, I cry when I talk about him. I was like, I can't do that in front of people. What if I had a song 
that I could just give to people and then they could know he lived. And so I started, uh, I, I knew a guy that was in a band, Brett Gillen, who's lead singer of a band at the time called uh, Brushfire at this bar I bounced at. And he, he went to Nashville and wrote songs. And so I said, hey, how do you do this whole songwriting thing? He didn't even know why I was asking. He just thought I was like a songwriting enthusiast. And then I was like, well, I don't have a guitar and I really want to learn guitar too. So he let me borrow a guitar and then he showed me like the first three chords and I went to YouTube for the rest of it. And this whole time in my head, I'm like, I need to write a song about Luke. And I was working on it for about a year and, and really to help my brain injury because of my, they said like my, the Rolodex in my head, like the thing that recalled words was broken. And so when I first came home from war, I was, I, I was a different, when I talked, I would do a lot of like, uh, uh, and I like always trying to find these words. So what I tried to do is I started writing parodies of songs that already existed to try to get the rhyme scheme up and try to use multiple words every single day. And that's how I started my, my songwriting journey. And then finally, after about a year of just trying to write the song about him, I got to this point where I had a song, but it didn't put him on the pedestal I needed it to. And so while I was in between those two points, too, I went from that community college in Bloomington, Illinois, where I was just uh, learning how to write songs. And now I'm going to school in Chicago and I'm working at a place called Joe's Bar, which is a big time country bar. Uh, and I meet a songwriter up there and I'm thinking to myself, like, I can't do this on my own right now. I don't have enough skills. I don't know enough about songwriting and I don't want this song to be super weak because it's about my friend who died. And I went up to a guy named Mark Irwin and Mark Irwin has, you know, eight or nine number one hits. He wrote Highway Don't Care and he wrote Alan Jackson's first number one hit and all these. And they're just doing wow. a writer's round. And I just I just go up to him and I say, hey, have you ever written with a veteran or for a veteran? And after his show, and he said, you know, me and Billy Ray Cyrus wrote a song called Runway Lights about the staff sergeant coming home. And I said, well, I have so much inside of me going on. I've tried to write this song about my buddy who's shot and killed and I can't get the song to where I want it. I was like, if I could travel to Nashville, will you write with me? And he yeah. said, yes. Mark yeah. Irwin, all these hits said yes to me, a stranger like living in Chicago. And so I recorded that journey of me coming down here and, and write. And we wrote a song and a half in three hours. And from that moment, I knew that songwriting was going to change my life and other people's lives. It's amazing. I just got chills when you said that. <laughs> That's such an incredible story. It really is. Really interesting about that, too, is, um, and we haven't confirmed it, but the band I played with in college played at Joe's around the same time that Richard was working there. Yeah. They like the Green Beer Day, St. Patrick's Day party up there. And I worked multiple Green Days. And I was like, dude, I may have played on the stage while you worked there, not even knowing yeah. each other. That's... That's crazy. Just so uh, wild. Meant to be. I'm so about that. Um, um, Kevin, like, you know, um, so you put music on pause and then, you know, you you went into tech sales. That must have been like such a different kind of breakthrough moment for you. I went into sales for sure, like uh, right after. And, you know, it was one of those where I still always played guitar. Like I'd play every day. It was kind of my therapy, my like, you know, just getting away and, you know, putting everything, you know, down for 20, 30 minutes. And, you know, I still try to do that now, just not as much as I'd like to. But I realized my other passion and, and drive was in the business tech world. And so I went out and moved away from Cincinnati, went in, and moved to a different city. And it got my first tech sales job and it was going door to door. And if I was getting uh, 50 no's a day and three yeses, that was a successful day. And so there's a lot of things that 
I didn't realize, you know, at the time going through that as the first job right out of school and, you know, it's hundred percent commission and it's like ingraining a lot of these characteristics and attributes that eventually play really heavily into startup world um, of, you know, just going, Hey, like it's all on you. Like you Mm -hmm. have only you to rely on. And if it's 6 PM and you're tired, like I got to go knock on more doors. Right. Um, Really good discipline, really good, like kind of prep work for that kind of starting a new venture for sure. For sure. And, And I think it was, you know, again, I think all these, uh, parts of our story all all kind of come together in, in a right in the right way. But w- after about a year there, I came back to Cincinnati and got a job at kind of a bigger company, very comfortable. It was one of those companies that you know everybody would be proud to be a part of and say, "Hey, I made a career here and it, I'm successful and got enough money to live and I'm comfortable." Right, but it wasn't in the field or the things that I was super passionate about. It was more of just kind of like, I need to, I need to get some stability. Right. And what I learned from that big organization, you know, being a a fortune 500 company is all about processes and all about organization and how to um, understand structure within, within organizations. And so was there doing sales and sales management for five years uh, left there to go to an education technology company, which was a, a lot smaller. And this is where I really got the step. You know, I got really fortunate and grateful enough to kind of have an entrepreneurship, if you call it that, of inside this this education technology company. They had me manage uh, a new team with like a new division, a new department, and basically say, hey, look, we bought this this other company. Go sell it. We don't have any marketing materials. We don't have any sales process. We don't have any strategy or structure, like figure it out. But what was nice that I learned there was, you know, having the backing of a company, like it was, Hey, we need marketing materials and this stuff. I don't have to worry about the budget necessarily. Mm -hmm. They just said, Hey, go sell it. Right. And, uh, that was another great cornerstone for learning how to build something from scratch almost, although it wasn't the product itself. Um, and was there for, you know, seven years, I actually was working there, um, when I moved to Nashville in 2015 and just worked remotely for, for three years. And so I was, um, working at that organization and then met Richard right when I moved here. And so I'll kind of pause there because then now it kind of gets into the, when Richard and I met part of it. Yeah. It's so funny that you should say it like me and Ariel always talk about like how breakthrough moments can either break you or make you, but they always lead you to where you're meant to be. And it's so funny hearing you talk about those kind of successful things that you did in that part of your life was kind of like mini breakthroughs to what was prepping you for what you're about to do. It's quite fascinating, really. Well, and there's a lot of a lot of failure that came with it. And like, even at that big organization, right. And what I realized was I like building things from scratch. Um, And I got to a place at that big organization where, where I got demoted, if you will, like they were like, you just seem to not care as much. And I was like, kind of don't. And, and, you know, with the education technology company, I mean, I, when I met Richard, right. It was okay, great. I, 
I have a good, comfortable job. I travel a lot. Things are things are fine. But again, my passion was in the music tech space. And we finally got this opportunity where I was doing a podcast with a good buddy in the music space. So just wanted to be around those people and then met Richard. And I was also working on this other side thing in the music tech space that didn't work out at all. But I was just learning, right? And just being mm-hmm. in the environment and learning at the same time. And then surrounding yourself with people like Richard that was interested and involved in the same thing. And that's just kind of when it all started clicking from an idea phase. Totally. I mean, I love that you use the word failure, though, because I'm on this I'm on this journey to change the way people view the word failure. I find that failure is one of the best things we can ever experience in life. It makes us find the true path that we want to be on and, and fix it and change it and grow into it. And Richard, for you, a lot of the moments that you faced on paper, they could look like the breakthrough moments that would break somebody, but it didn't break you. It You built into something really incredible from all of those moments. And what I'd love for you to talk about is a turning point for you when you realized that regardless of what kind of breakthrough moment you were experiencing, you had an undeniable vision and purpose. Yeah. And I think there's a, there's, there's a quote from a, an admiral, famous admiral that says, war makes a, a good or a gr- bad man worse and a good man great. And so, and the idea I think goes across all things when it comes to failures, because you could take any of these things that happen to you and you could either, you know, say, woe is me and kind of sit back and be like, I failed and I can't do anything. Or I was, you know, injured. I have a brain injury now. I can't do anything. Or you say, I have a brain injury. Well, what's, what's my new life look like? How am I going to overcome this? Or what can I do to not overcome it, but just be comfortable with it in a way that I could still succeed. And so I've just had this ingrained in me being super optimistic from a very early age. And every time I speak, it speaks about optimism because there's so many things that I've done in my life that it's only been because I've been like, well, why can't I do that? Yeah. Uh, and so even when I first joined the Marine Corps, I was I was in my head. Uh, the reason I chose the Marine Corps was because so 9-11 happened when I was a junior. And then I thought, well, I want to be the first person overseas to actually you know, take this person out. And at the time, because nobody knew what was happening, I thought it may have been Saddam Hussein because he was doing bad stuff over there. I said, well, why can't I be the, the one that catches him? And that was my mentality going in, not understanding that I most likely wasn't. It's like you could win the lottery, but Ooh. how likely are you? But I still kept that in my mind saying, well, why can't I be the one that captures him? So I joined the Marine Corps. And then even after that, my brain injury and when I came home and I was suffering and I started physically throwing up and I couldn't go to school a lot of the times. So I said, well, you know, now I can't learn these new technical skills. And I was actually trying to get a degree in business when I found out I had a brain injury. And I said, well, you know what? In order to be successful, I just need a degree. So, you know, let's just do art. I'll try to get an easy degree in art just to be successful. And all of a sudden, now I'm, I'm doing art and I'm like, I'm feeling this passion and this love and this healing through art. And then I, you know, I do two years of this community college when the School of the Arts to Chicago approaches our school and says, hey, you know, George O'Keefe went here. Walt Disney went here. It's one of the best art schools in the country. And here I am, never studied art before in my life, and I'm at a community college. And I say, why can't I go to this school? Mm. And then I'll, it's the only school I applied for, and I ended up getting in. And so then I'm pursuing music or school or art there, and it completely changes my life. And that's when I come out of it and say, have any other veteran, are they going to choose this route I did? Are they going to choose art and music as a way to heal? Do they even know it exists? 
why can't I be the one that starts a nonprofit and does this and makes this change? And so this whole optimism and this, it was never a mindset of just like, oh crap, I'm injured. It was like, wait, how do I like redirect and like go around this and still be optimistic about the outcome? I love that. It's so inspiring to hear you talk like that because I know um, I had a personal, I had a motorbike accident and broke my leg. And at the time I was in like, just opened in this brand new show. And hearing you speak, it's so funny because I don't think I realized at the time what was gonna happen. They were like, you're not gonna dance for like 18 months, you know? And I was back and forth because I was just like, okay, that kind of doesn't work for me. And I love people like yourself that just like, okay, there's a barrier. Okay, what, we just need to figure out a way around it. It's, it. But it's there's so many people that don't have that attitude. And what I love about both of you is like, you know, you've come together, but you keep showing up. It's so funny when you go knock on a door and you have like 1,500 no's, but you might get three yeses and one of them yeses might open the door, but you keep showing up. I want to talk about, I know that Nashville is a bond. We have a bond with Nashville, all four of us. But can we talk about like more about how you guys came together in the first place and how did Nashville as a city kind of influence parts of We Should Write Some Time? Yeah, um, I'll, I'll go and then because it kind of obviously plays into it. But, you know, it's interesting, like right when Cincinnati is only like four and a half hours from Nashville. And I used to come here all the time just and then be like, I was like, I have to live here. Right. And it just there were things that held me back. And I think there was the personal stuff, you know, my family's in Cincinnati, my good friends. And like, I love the city and all that stuff. And so I, I think you know, I, I look back and go, man, I wish I would have moved here sooner. But again, yeah. everything I think works out and clichéingly happens for a reason in the timing of it. And, you know, when I was working at that company, the education technology company, I, they said, look, you can move to Nashville, but we don't have a role after this year for you. Yeah. Like you can do what you're doing now, but like we can't guarantee next fiscal year, like because you're remote and what you do is typically in-house, we can't guarantee a job for you. And I just was like, you know what? I know that's where I need to be my long-term and like having faith in, in what I want to be doing. I have to at least be there and it'll work itself out one way or the other. And I think that's where I got um, a good friend of mine that I grew up with in Cincy that lived here, had a, an opportunity to work on, again, a little side hustle at this music tech platform that was just, that's based out of Brazil, but they wanted to get some footprint in Nashville and they, we're like, hey, you guys can run it in Nashville. And I was like, this is my opportunity, right? And I was with a, you know, a significant other and we had to have that conversation and we just went separate ways just because we knew that what my, where I needed to be in my, in my heart and my soul and what I wanted was in Nashville. And picking up and leaving you know, family and friends that I've had for so long was obviously a tough thing, but I couldn't deny it anymore. And just, I had to just go, I'm, I'm doing it and we'll figure it out. But that's kind of where I met Richard through this mutual friend, like almost what the week after. Yeah, I think, and I think we, if we look at it, we probably moved here within probably yeah. a month of each other, possibly. We need to like go back and look at it, but it's definitely within the same six months, no matter what, but I think it's even closer to like a month. Yeah. And, and again, it's, I, when you have that passion for music, like we all do, it's, I just want to be at every writer's round I can listening to the best songwriters in the world and just be in that environment, whatever that meant. And, you know, yeah. I, I loved going out and being social and networking. It was like, 
it's combining everything I love, right? Like just want me to be out drinking and having fun. Like that's it. And then combining with music, Nashville, please. <laughs> so our mutual friend connected us because he was obviously doing the creative ed stuff, right? Yeah. And creative ed is what obviously brought me here. When I first came down here, right with Mark Irwin, I instantly knew that I discovered something powerful and I wanted to start bringing friends down who've served. And I, I reached out to my first friend who didn't like telling the story because he lost his leg over in Iraq and has burns all over his body. And I brought him down here to write. And we stayed at like a little motel and stuff. And I did some a GoFundMe. We raised like 300 bucks to bring him down here. And that's when it really set the idea that I was I need at least two pro writers per veteran I want to bring down. And in my head, I said, I want to bring a lot of people down. And what I was doing was when I had the veteran here, I would just network. So I had the veteran next to me and I'd meet people at a whiskey jam or somewhere else and I'd tell them what I was doing. And they'd be like, oh, well, next time you come down, hit me up. And so I started building this Rolodex of, of songwriters. But I was in the same situation as he was, even though I was already pursuing creative ads. I was in a, a relationship with a girl in the Navy. And I mean, I was living in Newport and I was living in Virginia Beach, but I knew I ultimately had to be in Nashville if I really wanted to, to scale creative ads and grow. And so ultimately in, we ended that and I moved to Nashville and that's what got us here around the same time. And his roommate that he's talking about too, I randomly, I started volunteering at a local church like the first week I got here and another, it's just so crazy how people meet because I meet this girl like one time at this thing because we're both volunteers. And then I go to South for Lisa Goes Variety Show to the, the bar in, on Demumbrian. Wow. And she is there on a date with her, his roommate. And she's like, oh my gosh, you have to hear Richard's story. And again, this is like within the first month I move here. And so <laughs> just because I'm there, I walk up to him and I tell him my story. And he's like blown away by it. So he's like, oh, we got to reconnect and all this stuff. And so he pulls me into their little group. And I just start, me and Kevin start, he, he wants to hang out because I have a need to go listen to music because I would just go to writer's rounds. And if I heard someone awesome, I'd approach them afterwards and say, hey, I bring veterans to Nashville. Will you write with one if I bring one? And they're like, yeah. And they give me my number or give me their number. But Kevin was always like my ride or die. He's just like, when you pick me up, what are we doing? What are we doing at tonight? And like, we had our schedule, like Monday's Whiskey Jam, yeah. Tuesday, 10 Roof. Uh, Wednesday, Wednesday was like Blue Bar, and then Thursday was Lisa Goes Variety Show. Yeah. Like we literally had a schedule of, of places. Selfishly, I I obviously loved Richard because everything about him. But there was also that part of he doesn't drink alcohol, yeah. so I had a driver, a driver every night. Oh yeah. my god, that was a thing. <laughs> I've I've never drank an alcohol in my life, and I would stay out till three a.m. just to meet songwriters for the organization. So. I was always in like this place of networking and meeting people. But you never did it in like, I. what I love about you is that, and also side note before I say this, we were all supposed to know each other no matter what, because I met Richard through a writing session with Kelsey Kulik, but we've been in the same place. Like you're saying all these things and I was there too. Like I went to Lisa, Lisa's one of my best friends and I went to her variety show constantly. So the fact that we were sitting in the same room, a small room and we didn't meet until later on, it just blows my mind that we were, but what I love about you is, you know, when you like walk into a room and you could see someone looking to who for who to talk to, you don't do that. When you network, it's like you're making a new best friend. And I I love that. Anyway, that's just a side note. I just wanted to celebrate that because that's also something to celebrate. We had a good shtick, he and I, which was good because because his his 
creative mind and, and dad jokes and humor is just so perfect. And then my sarcasm just plays really hard into all these conversations. And so it was never hard meeting people. Um, and it Not, was, it was I so think you're a pretty good team. You look yeah. like pretty well, and, and he team. helped, like, it's just, for, and there's something too, and Harry, you probably don't even know this, but I can't, I have a barrier to where I can't go up and just talk to people. No matter how much I want to say, like, I couldn't approach girls when I was single. I can't approach people for networking. I legitimately need someone because, you know, once I'm in it, I'm like, I could sell anything and I could like really bring people through. But I always needed a Kevin or a Chad to like tee it up. And I was actually the perfect thing for them to tee up because, oh, me and my friend, he started this nonprofit. He helps veterans, all this stuff. (laughs) So it was a good team because I actually needed that. There's still some sort of barrier in my head that I'm asking for something when me, I was all about service. Like I joined the Marine Corps to serve. I was, I was helping veterans to serve. I always felt weird approaching someone, even though I was doing good, asking them for something. And so it always helped when I had someone to kind of tee up those conversations and I would just go from there. And it goes back to, you know, the, the first job out of school, right? Like you're knocking on doors all day long and you're getting those every day. It's just like, how do you build rapport with people? And uh, it, it just kind of worked out that way. But around the same time, right? Like I, uh, my good friend that was doing a podcast and he was interviewing songwriters and musicians and he was always friends with them, you know, before they became who they, they are now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I just saw what he was doing and he, he's not music. He just is more of a, uh, MC kind of speaker guy. Like he's just not in music, but he, had all these friends and he was interviewing them. And I was like, dude, I just got to be around what you're doing. Like, and I'll help with the the tech setup or whatever. And I ended up just being like, you know, his, his sidekick chewy ish RIP, um, <laughs> you know, like just kind of like right hand guy, you know, and it was super fun, but it's important to bring that up because I didn't think anything uh, really about it when it, when it came to, we should write sometime, but I kept hearing all these, great songwriters and musicians come on and they were like, I moved to Nashville and to pursue songwriting in my career, but it was still really hard for me to find the right group of people to write the songs with. And and I didn't want to go out every night. I'm kind of more of an introvert. And like, there was just this repetitive theme that I kept hearing of like the, the pain or pain point or frustration of just finding when you first get here, how to write with the right people. And that's like, a week after I stopped working at that other side hustle in the music tech space, which was, you know, a, a learning lesson through failure. That's when Richard came with came up to me with this with this idea. And and I'll let him talk about that. But it was just like the way the timing all worked out is still so crazy. Yeah, timing was crazy. That's what I love about that town though in Nashville, because I think we can all relate to being the newbie. But I feel like it's like no place on the planet for me when it comes to music. Obviously, it's it's just I find the people just want to connect and they, you know, that everyone shares the same passion there of just like wanting to do music and like you said, just have a passion for it and be around it. So um, it'd be interesting trying to like start a new company, I reckon, in London or New York, how different that would be. Well, that's the thing. And that's kind of what leads into We Surprise Time is that I, so I was writing with veterans all the time and trying to go out every single night and recruit people. And then I met my now wife and it made me not want to go out anymore, but I still needed songwriters. 
And then on top of that, I did this little project where I went out to LA and I wrote, and uh, this girl that I wrote with was under Universal. And she was talking about in the session how she was so jealous of what Nashville has because we can go to any bar, any place that all the servers are songwriters, everyone's a songwriter, you just meet them. She's like, for me, I have to be paired up with another songwriter in order for me to find one. And then, so I had those two thought processes in my head when I was, I was coming back from the gym one day and I was just sitting here thinking about my life with my wife and saying, well, I really don't want to go out anymore. There's a problem with people connecting. What is there an easier way for people to connect? Why can't I just sit on my couch and like find songwriters to write with these veterans so I don't have to go out? And that's when it kind of all clicked. And I was, and I started, I, I just, Kevin was one of the first people I called. I did call a few people um, to kind of vet this idea too. Still I was still angry about that. I still <laughs> I like to vet the ideas. And then, but Kevin was the only one to be like, let's do this. And I mean, so it was like, he was waiting for this phone call his entire life. Yeah. And he was just like, let's do this. Cause I said, Hey, we can, we can create this thing. And it's like the Bumble or Tinder for songwriters. I was like, can you imagine this in LA and Austin and New York and London where now songwriters should just be on here swiping on people or they could geolocate to LA or geolocate to Nashville and find those people they want to write with and find the perfect co-write. Because again, you can be out in LA and you finally meet a songwriter by happenstance of the thing, but then you both get in a room and you're both lyricists or you're like, oh crap, maybe we should have talked about what we actually did beforehand. Or you're just completely different genres where our, our thought process was, wow, if you had a songwriter profile that said, if you do top line, if you do melody, if you do lyrics, if you, you do country, if you do rock, if you do whatever, and you have your music, all of a sudden that just covers everything. And I was tired of going to the ASCAP Expo, coming home with like 10,000 cards, <laughs> like business cards, and then being like, wait, who was this person? Yeah. I don't want to look at everybody's website or go to Spotify and search everybody. If I'd connected with them, I could just listen to their music, see their face, and then know exactly how we connected. And so that's kind of where this uh, idea came. And the moment I called Kevin, he was within the day, probably, we got together in my apartment and we started drawing out storyboarding what this might look like. It was like, it moved so fast. We have uh, actually here at the office, we have the original big white board paper because I had it for the other thing I was working on. And I was like, I'll be right back. I go home and grab it. And I was like, all right, let's start drawing this thing out. And like, we have the pictures and, you know, him being the artist creative, you know, he's drawn me and he's like, I'm drawing you as the profile. And it's like stick figure-ish color guy. And I've got like the hairy chest. chest and like, <laughs> you know, I, but I well, I'm we're keeping those forever. But like, I was like, great. And then I email uh, a buddy of mine that actually I grew up with in Cincy, but he's a developer. And he actually lives in Nashville. So I just said, hey, man, we got this idea, kind of starting this from scratch, side hustle. Do you want to be a part of it? Um, do you want to help? Like, you know, we need obviously somebody to, to develop it. And he was like, yes. So we, you know, did all the legal paperwork and, and made an agreement with him and off and running. Eight months, like, great. Let's meet every couple of weeks and go through you know, updates, designs, the UX, all of it. And um, after eight months, we get an unexpected email from him and he just quit. Um, he just said, I, I, you know, am going to be in breach of contract. Can't do it in the time that we talked about. Like, I don't think it's going to be the quality that you guys want or need. And I don't want to ruin our friendship since I've known him forever. So, you know, obviously after eight months, it's a pretty devastating email to get. Um, him on the ethical side. And I will always say, I, you know, I sing his praises for this. Like he gave us back all the money we paid him, 
all the equity that we offered him to help do this. And, you know, I, I can always sit here now and go, thank God that happened. Um, like mm-hmm. as bad as that was during the time, it actually, like, I don't think we'd be here if, if he didn't quit. And then it forced us to get a uh, real serious with a real development shop, get a real business plan together, get some investors like, and start doing the real thing. And the biggest takeaway, and we hear this all the time, um, is a lot of the advisors from the entrepreneur center were like, you guys are just doing too much. Like you're doing way too much. Just build the core thing and get it out there. Let the users dictate what happens after that. You can have this great roadmap, but once you get it out there in people's hands, then you'll actually know what you've got and what needs to happen next. Um, and you know, I think all the things that we were going to put in, in the initial version are going to be coming out, but it wasn't necessary and and it would taken way longer and been, um, just not, it, it wouldn't have gotten us to where we needed to. And so that's another big piece of this of like, man, we worked on this for eight months. Do we just kind of pack it up? Great idea. We gave it a shot. Um, but that's not who we are. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely doesn't sound like it. We know that like there's obviously growing pains whenever you're developing a new business, especially uh, in technology is involved. Um, did you take time to celebrate the wins when you overcame like a growing pain or were you caught up in the uphill feeling of that moment? Like, no, we still got so much to get done kind of thing. That's a great question. And I mean, I'll I think, let you go. Well, because go. we're always so optimistic and we always like, he knew that anytime I called, it was probably either awesome idea or like a huge win. And so like, we just would contact each other. Like if it was a new investor, if we've been like waiting yeah. for something or if it was a new contact. And uh, I think again, the optimism that we both share for everything, it's almost like every, everything is a victory or a win. Like there's no, there's no win too small. Like when we get a few more users, it's like, yes, sweet. I'm going to send them some emails. Like I'm going to do this. And so there's been tons of growing challenges that whole thing with the eight months. Like I remember I was super upset and I was just like, I mean, I was like, how, how could this happen? But it was always a blessing in disguise. But knowing that I've been through situations like this before, I still knew it was going to come to be. So I think we, we legitimately, I think celebrate pretty much every day that we're still going. (laughs) Yeah. And I think, you know, in terms of celebration, we're still so young, right? Like I think we probably could do a better job of it, but I just think it's one of those where I don't know if it's just been the way I was raised of like, Hey, cool. You've gotten to this point, keep going. And, you know, I I'm grateful for the way my parents raised me, but like, even when we got, a Rolling Stone article and and in Billboard and all these things like it was I don't know like internally I was like wow this is really cool for like an hour I don't know yeah. and I don't then think it was we take like, time I don't think we really take time to celebrate we legitimately are just so moved because I was just thinking that when you were yeah, talking I was like, we got Billboard and we're like sweet okay let's get back do we have an investor lineup do we have this, <laughs> do we have this? it wasn't like sweet we got this let's promote Throw the crap out of it let's do this let's celebrate with our friends that we got Billboard. And uh, so, yeah, it's funny we're talking today because today is the first day in over. So when I and I know we're recording this and I'm okay with it now because the old company is is long gone. But like I always knew I was going to work till I got fired. It was a sales job. Right. Like in the last three years, it went like 
80, 20 real work, we should write some time. And then it was like, whoa, there's actually something kind of here, 50, 50. Then it was like, I'm just gonna work till I get fired. And like that whole <laughs> failure thing was interesting because like I, it was then, you know, it, all we should write sometime and then just enough to not get fired kind of thing. But like internal meetings with my boss, she's like, what's happening? Like, what are you doing? And I'm just like, oh, it's just tough market out there. <laughs> I'm like, but, and I say all that because I think it's, it's now then, and I take it back and I go, that was July of last year. And literally three hours ago, I wrote myself our, the first check in over a year to pay myself something. And so, and then it was funny because one of the guys that worked was Brett, uh, worked was Richard, his name Brett, he's like, are you going to celebrate? And I was like, not really. Like, I got to pay my credit card bills now. Like, <laughs> you know? Well, that's what this podcast is about. So I just want to shine a light on, yes, you, you did get the Rolling Stones, but you also got Forbes and CMT News, just to name a few. Um, I just want to ask one question. Like, what did it feel like that the very first time you had like a big media breakthrough? Uh, I mean, I think it was solidifying the idea. I think that was the first thing. It wasn't even celebrating that we were successful as a, a company. It was solidifying the idea that what we created was good enough to reach, to grace those pages, which gave us the like, because that's that's where it got hard was going for so many months and being like, wait, are people going to like this? Are people going to get us out? Are people going to understand what we're trying to do? Because in the beginning of every idea, you're just like, this is the billion dollar idea. But then you get into it and you're like, wait, you start doubting yourself. So I think when those things happen, that's when it, the first one that happened was like, wait, this is real. Like this is going to be as big as we say it's going to be. And this, that's what's exciting about it is kind of like that reassurance. Yeah, you get validation from someone like that. And you're like, okay, this gives you the confidence, I suppose, to yeah, we believe in it. They believe in it now. Yeah, we're going to go steamroll ahead. He's so optimistic and I love it so much because you say that and I, the thing that I just remembered when you said that was this internal feeling of like, this is awesome, but I, and not like, and shit, we don't have automated email auto responses <laughs> to all these new users we don't have this, we don't have that, right? So like, that's where I went of like, this is awesome. And then it was just like trying to keep, I always talk about what Reed Hoffman says from, from LinkedIn. And he's always like, if you're not embarrassed by the first release, then you've launched too late. Like there's still things that we know are, are not where we want them to be, but we launched and we didn't have notifications. We didn't have geolocation. We didn't have Facebook login. And like, but this is what he's talking about of like, getting it out there and getting those those the feedback and then just getting validation for this and so it was really exciting getting that first win but then i'm going <laughs> i have no automated way to email these hundreds of people oh. signing up so i'm sitting there just going copy paste <clears throat> copy paste like i mean and we still don't have all of that. Um, but like we've streamlined yeah, a lot of it. still emailing every user but that like, you saw. I mean, but that's what it is. Kevin's so, the Tom of MySpace. <laughs> you know what though? You need that. You need um, you need the balance of optimism and practicality. I just, it's a nice balance between the two worlds. And I'm sure that you switch spots sometimes too, you know? 
I do want to talk a little bit about taking the plunging. I think it's the hardest part of the journey when you decide to finally go all in. It's a big risk. And it's so, so scary to get to that point. Richard, you did it twice because you did it with creative vets and we should write sometime. And Kevin, you've done it many times because you've transitioned into so many different parts of your career and then finally taking the pledge into we should write sometime. Was there a breaking point for both of you, like individually or together where you realized it's really time to just say F it and go all in? I'm always, if you know me, I'm always all in on everything. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know if there was like a time. I mean, obviously the, when I ended the relationship with the ex to be like, I need to be in Nashville. Like it was building up to being like, okay, I'm not getting as much done here as I would in Nashville. And I know yeah. I'd be more successful. So there's definitely that breaking point to where it was, it was legit. Like, do I focus on this kind of path? It was the same thing when I was at that community college. In the state of Illinois, I was getting my GI Bill, which was covering my school, but I was also getting an Illinois State Veteran Grant. So I was actually making money to go to school. And I had this choice to make to go to this art school that was private, which means I didn't get either of those um, because it was like the there's a post 9-11 GI Bill and then there's Montgomery. And that's what I had. Did not cover private schools. So I knew that if I was going to make this choice to go to the school there in Chicago, that I was going to go in debt and it was going to ruin a relationship. And uh, because I was going to move away, but I knew I had to do that for my own health. And so I made there, there's been so many times there's been crossroads in my life that most people would always go the other way. And I just go head first in the way that I know is going to be most successful for me or the people around me. And so every time something like that, like I've had a million ideas about, and he knows he, he writes down all my business ideas, all my other stuff, but it wasn't until we should rise time that again, I was like, this, this is the one out of all these that we need to go after. And just, I always, and this kind of goes back to some of the earlier stuff we talked about, about the two different parts of us. I identify all the time. I think it, you should identify your strengths or your weaknesses even more than your strengths a lot of time. Cause I know I'm always going to be a co-founder because of my creativity and my drive and my passion can go one way, but it does not go the, the, like with my brain injury, especially I can't do a lot of posts. I can't do a lot of organizational skills. There's just stuff I can't do, but I'm never going to try to just be the founder, like be the sole person behind something just because I want to be. I'm like, if I want to be successful, I need to pull in people who are my exact complement. And that's exactly what what Kevin is. It's a good question. And a lot of moments kind of pop up in my brain when it's like taking the plunge. Like one is just moving here on the on the notion of hey, you, there's no guarantee for what employment's going to look like next year, right? And so they were like, I moved in August. So they were like, you know, we don't know what's going to happen in January. Uh, so I at least had that buffer. And then, you know, there was, there was those moments where like I interviewed at other places just in case, right? And uh, didn't get them. And I was mm. kind of pissed by it. Like, I was just like, why would you not hire me? Like this, that, and the other. And it's funny because a a, two of those organizations, like because of what's been going on, have laid off all the divisions that I that I interviewed for back then. Not sure how that would play out now, but just like it's it's interesting seeing that of being like I was so pissed because I didn't get it, and then it was like now seeing what's going on. But the plunge part for me of going, I'm moving to Nashville for a reason to get in the music tech space, whatever that means, and then having like this this 
the validation part's really critical to it of like, okay, there actually is something here. Um, I also keep a mo like a, a, and I'm not sure how healthy this is, but I keep a list of people that have said no to us or rejected us in some way, oh. whether it's investing, whether it's uh, like an awards thing or startup app. Like there's all these things that like, I, I keep a list. It's not right? like a Billy Madison list. No, definitely not. <laughs> but, uh, that's the driver and motivation. I think there's also like, honestly, close relationships have helped in this plunge. And I think almost to, again, like, you know, talk to my therapist about how healthy this part is, but it is that, Hey, um, I am going all in on this thing financially and personally and it. And I planned for this, for this last year of my life to go, look, if, if I don't make a dollar for a yearish, like I'm okay with it. And I planned for that piece. Um, and you know, my financial advisor is not super pleased, but like, I was like, <laughs> I mean, I got to do it right. Like there's no, there's no turning back now. Um, because you know, I, as cliche as the saying is that Tony Robbins always talks about, he's like, if you want to take the Island, burn the boat. Um, and so, you know, like that boat's been at the bottom of the water for quite some time. Um, and it's just you, like, great, let's figure it out. Like, who do we have to talk to, to get for this next round of funding or, or get, uh, the marketing stuff ready or these campaigns all done. And, um, that's it, all I think about. And I think it's obviously had, um, in the past, some, some, consequences on the personal side of, you know, this is the music business and you guys all know it's things happen unexpectedly from events, networking, uh, things going on. And it's a very relationship network business. And so, mm -hmm. you know, like yeah. we, we always get, Hey, let's do this. Let's go there. Let's do these things. And uh, that definitely played in the past for on the personal side of like, I am all in on this. And, um, it, you know, it, it definitely has some consequences in other areas. Yeah. There's yeah. definitely casualties. To yeah. That. And I think that that's one thing that, feel that, yeah, th there's, that's the one thing that stops anybody is there typically it's family first. And then it's the relationship. Cause a lot of, a lot of things like me, even going to the art school is like any, everyone else in my life was like, don't go to the school. Aren't you? Like, why would you do that? You're a Marine. You're at this community college and now you're going to go broke. Just going to this art school. My mom was the only one that's like, yeah, go for it. Aww. And so, but I think these people like they, they rely so much on their significant other or their family to where it's like, they're the ones that are ultimately probably going to stop you and kind of drown you out and kind of avoid that. And so that's what I love about Kevin. I, I think it's a lot harder for Kevin to take the dive because like with my mindset, I'm like, I almost died like how many times, like six or seven times. So every decision I make is super easy because I think, well, am I going to die at the end of this decision? And if it's a no, I just go for it. So like when I'm, when I'm doing these big things, I don't stress about them. My wife gets really mad. Like <laughs> we just had a newborn, which is awesome. But when we bought our house, when we got married, when we have a newborn, I'm just like, oh, sweet. Like, well, you know, if we end up in a trailer, that's cool with me too. Cause I've, I've been poor. I've almost died so many times. I know it's like to live that. And so my decision-making is a lot more free and stuff. So for Kevin, not experiencing all that and still making these decisions, well, decisions, I well, think it's pretty, pretty awesome. Well, thanks. I, I think there's also something, and it's never a woe is me about not making any money. It, it honestly has been the best year of my life. Like, and, and I haven't worried about it 
you know, like, obviously mm-hmm. I'm worried about like, Hey, at some point I'm going to need to make money again, but it's, I'm doing what I love and what I came here to do. And there is progress and results and we have so far to go. And, uh, I, we see it as a very bright future, but yeah. now is very much that critical point of great. We have this, you know, newborn baby, if you will. And we have to like, give it everything it needs, nutrients and all the fun stuff and making sure it's taken care of to make sure it grows in a very healthy, quick manner. Uh, weird analogy. So don't drop that. it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, like doing that for the last year has, has been like it, that whole feeling of not needing to go, man, today's whatever day. I can't wait for Friday. I don't have that. Um, yeah. You know, like just because... I'm always like, well, how many users do we have to work with today? Or who am I texting at 2 a.m. to resolve some issue or something? I mean, hats off to anybody that follows their dream. And I think you two are such a great inspiration to our listeners that, you know, just it goes back to that thing, just showing up and taking a chance. And I feel like when you love what you do, you never work a day at in your life you just obviously has like worries and I I watched like a a Jim Carrey documentary recently and he was talking about how his father was really funny and he never got that chance because he picked his family and he wanted to provide but he he gets really emotional about it because he could have had that chance and he didn't and it kind of killed him in his later later days and I just like it's so great and I'm so excited for you both but I think it's just um yeah great message to send to people about if you take a chance and you show up look what the world can offer you you guys met and this is this is taking off and it's great i um i also think part of taking the risk is something that kevin and i have talked about of knowing who to have around you not not just family but who you have around you and what you spend your time on because both have such a great effect on it. And I am sure you've both had to recognize who is holding you back and who is actually pushing you forward. I mean, it's, I think it's imperative to the experience. Family relationships, everything. And that I tell people all the time, the, the easiest way to succeed is to pick your, the people you want to hang out with and make sure that, cause they say what the, you know, the five people you hang out with the most are the, the person you become. Yeah. And so I instantly like I have three siblings that hardly rarely ever talked to and like even my dad rarely ever talked to and I made these conscious decisions because it was you know bringing me down or like they weren't trying to stop me from anything but they were consistently being this like negative impact when I can hang out with people like Kevin and Chad and Luke and Brett and all these yeah. people who are so optimistic about life and all want to achieve a certain goal it always brings you back to where subconsciously you're always thinking about like the things around you luckily being around these guys it's like, hey, I can be successful. I can do this. I can keep going. And so your your mind goes there. If you're if you're around that negative high school friend who's just been your BFF for life, but they're constantly just dragging you down, saying, "Dude, like, when are you going to give this up?" You're going to start thinking like that. One mm-hmm. day you'll be like, "Why don't I just give this mm-hmm. up?" So I think that's one of the most important mm-hmm. things you could do is surround yourself with those people. Legitimately, just cut the fat. Cut anybody who's kind of like negative and just doesn't want to see you succeed. And that's the great thing about them mm-hmm. is that. Even if it's succeeding with creative events or my personal life or we should write some, everyone in our group 
kind of celebrates those. Like, Brett, are you going to celebrate? Like, he was just as excited as Kevin is about getting this paycheck. And those are the people you need to be around you, not the ones that are like, well, what the crap? Like, why didn't you guys bring me into the fold? Or why didn't you do this? It's like, those those are the type of people you want. Yeah. I think it's um, a great point that you mentioned about family because it's uncomfortable for, you know, like, if you've got a dream and you've got, and I have people around me in my family that just don't see the vision that you have. And it was just a great point that you brought up because I think like we all, we all have them people that it, you kind of like, oh, I love you, but we're not in the same way. <laughs> so I need to take a step back. You know, they just don't get it. And sometimes that's uncomfortable and sacrifices you have to make because you're just like, mm. Uh, yeah, bye. But um, I think that was really great that you mentioned that because, yeah, it's a, it's a thing. And a big part of that is just self-awareness, right? And it's actually being able to listen to yourself and then act upon that mm. and and not feel like, and I think everybody struggles with it at some point of like wanting to make other people happy at, you know, it, and putting yourself second. But what that ends up doing is, is really hurting yourself in the long run, because then you're not being true to yourself, which then uh-huh. means eventually you're going to be really uh, not pleasant to be around a lot of the time. But I mean, there was definitely a lot of people that I was like, I mean, I'm not embarrassed to say it. Like my nickname was Party McCarty, you know, <laughs> and some people probably still call me that. I do every once in a while. Yeah. But like, <laughs> It just has yeah, a ring it, it has a great ring to it. I get it, but like, you know, there was the one side of me that was like, oh yeah, like it's super fun to be, you know, called that, and we always have a good time. And I know a lot, of, you know, I knew a lot of the wrong people, I guess, and mm. not saying that they're bad, but just the wrong people for me to get to a place of going. I want to have more of these conversations and understand this stuff and be able to help people eventually to live their dreams and do what they want to do. And that's not going to be well received coming from a party McCarty. Um, <laughs> right. so gotta understand, like internally, I knew that, right? But I was too afraid to say no to people or say no, I don't want to go meet you for happy hour. Like now it's, you know, like there's more constructive and productive things I can do that are going to help me along the way. Still love to do all of that, but it's just all in moderation, right? It's it's uh, understanding what you want as a person versus just like saying yes to everybody. I, you know, before we move on real quick, I just want to celebrate for you guys for a second because I think it's the scariest thing in the world to say I'm going to go against what my family thinks for me or my friends. It took me until this year. I'm 33 years old and it took me until this year to actually just go for whatever I want and not care what people said. And it could be small comments like, well, how are you going to have health insurance? And how are you going to do this that could stop you? And it's so easy to lean into those comments as an excuse of why you didn't chase the dream. But you two don't do that. And I think we should celebrate you for a moment because that's huge. Thank you. You beat me in the age side of getting to that point. So I want to celebrate you in that for getting, I wish I did that sooner. Girl. Uh, I mean, look, like I love my family. They're my family. My mom always gave me crap because I'm the one son. I'm the middle child brother and uh, older brother and younger brother. Both have two kids. They're both married. They've both mm. been married a long time. Like 
and I'm the single one with no kids, late 30s, right? Like, eh, this is mid 30s, eh, mid late, it's fine. <laughs> uh, so it's, you know, it's that conversation, right? Like, what's what's up? What like what's wrong? And I'm like, I love my life. Like, yeah. this is what I want. Um, and that I think. I think that finally changed when she finally got a granddaughter because she only had grandsons. <laughs> she finally got a granddaughter. Oh, like, they do that. They do that. Definitely. Yeah, for sure. but, <laughs> no, like, I, I mean, uh, those were tough conversations. Like, why are you moving to Nashville? Like, what's wrong with Cincinnati? Like, why aren't you married? Like, blah, blah, blah. like, and it was, that's still a driver for what we're doing now a little bit. Right. And, I, and I'd be lying if it wasn't to be like, this is why, like, mm. so I can build this thing up and, take you guys on any trip you want eventually. Mm, I really relate. I really relate to that though. Cause there's so many, when it comes to being creative or creating anything, there are a lot of personal sacrifices that you make. You both talked about that. And I know me and Ariel have, have missed birthdays and funerals because we've been out on the road and it's, it's kind of like, I find it difficult to talk about that stuff to my normal friends that have a nine to five because my life just doesn't roll around like that. I can't like, they're like, why can't you? And I'm like, well, because if I don't do this gig, then this promoter is going to hate me and I won't get booked for, you know, X, Y, Z, which I need money. So yeah, it's uh, I think it takes a lot of courage to do that. So well done. And, and to you guys too, I, I often have this conversation with my with my brother who's in real estate, right? And it's just a different perspective, different mindset, different priorities, different outlook on on financial situations. And he's like, "Why, why are you putting these thousands of dollars into this app? Like, what's the ROI on that? Like, real estate, it's you know this, that, and the other. It's very you can make a lot of money that way." I'm like, "I do not see it that way." Plus running an app, as I've learned through this, there's always expenses that you don't expect to have. Uh, and so you got to do it, you know? Yeah. And and yeah. so I just look at it at, in a different light and that's okay. Totally. We love to end our podcast with two questions. So I'm going to ask the first. Um, if you could go back in time and relive, not change, just relive and re-experience one of your breakthrough moments, which one would you choose? And I want to know. Up. I want to know from both of you. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what did you say? What did you say? I missed it. Oh my god, dude! <laughs> oh, oh no, maybe not. Is that weird that you that I like you more for saying I comment? Wait, I missed it. Tell me again. <laughs> uh, I just said to be blown up again. Uh, <laughs> one of the times, probably the second. Uh, it was my favorite. No, just kidding. <laughs> oh my god yeah you have to have sense of humor wait um you want to answer this yeah so and you're saying relive a breakthrough moment yeah just a moment that so changed your course i wrote this down the other day and i'm not sure if it so much changed my course as to is part of why we're doing what we're doing and like my love for music and songwriters and all that stuff right and i and i mentioned part of it earlier um because I, I thought about it like when I was on a run and I was like, dude, that's that it clicked with me a little bit. And so John and I wrote a song called 111, which was the number, uh, the dorm room that we lived in. And it was about his ex or whatever. 
but we we wrote that song and it was the first one we wrote together and then like eventually like i was saying like i when you said that what clicked with me was it was playing at the balcony you know it was just an acoustic song and having like i remember jamie crawford and like three of her sorority friends singing along to that song for the first time and i just remember being like oh my god like that feeling and you guys have all probably know it but like I was like, if I can help songwriters feel like that, like for with what we're doing and give them the chance to, whether it's just write great songs, not that the song was great. I mean, it was like three chords and weird, but um, that feeling that I had, right? To how, do, how can I help translate that with the app and what we're doing to get songwriters in a room to write great songs, to get that in front of the publishers and then the artists and then get that out to the world. Like, I was like, that's, that was something that just clicked with me recently of like that feeling of having that happen. I don't know. I love that. I do want to hear Richard's uh, breakthrough moment though, that he would relive other than being blown up. <laughs> uh Probably when, so there was a time when I came home from war. I, so before war, I was like prom king, class clown. I could, I was more like the person you see today. And then when I came home from war, I, I had to actually do one-on-one speeches with my speech teacher in, in college because I couldn't get up in front of class and talk to people. Like you wouldn't believe that now, but that's where I was at in my life. And so I think the first time where I had a really big breakthrough was, so the Chive granted our organization some money for what we were doing. And they're the first ones who believed in us. I mean, their motto was root for the underdog. And so with, we only raised for our nonprofit, maybe like 30,000 the the first year. And that's with in-kind donations. So probably $18,000 cash. And the next year they donated 25,000 to us and then did a fundraiser where they raised another 21,000 for us. So they like doubled what we made in cash the year before just investing in us and what my passion was, my belief was. And so they invited me out to the gala and at the gala that they wanted me to come up and talk about creative ads for a minute. And so this is, this is still in the time where I was through the healing process where I've, I've barely spoken a little bit to like a little crowd, but like it was, it was going through my brain that I was like, there's so many veterans in this crowd right now. There's like a thousand people in the crowd. I was like, I want to sing a song. I want to try to get up there and prove that like I could do this. And the first time I ever, I went up there, I grabbed Chris Ferrara's guitar because he was the band that was playing. And I sang a song and I just told it. I mean, my whole body was shaking, but I said, I was in the crowd before you, like I was in the same situation you were. I had to do one-on-one speech with my speech teacher. I couldn't go to class. I would physically throw up. I had extreme anxieties. And now I'm about to play a song for you all. This is where you all could come just by engaging in arts and music. And so I think that would probably be the one that I would love to either relive or just see. Like I want to be in the crowd seeing myself do that. Yeah, I bet. Because I bet you were probably a breakthrough moment for somebody else. Oh, I mean, they okay. said that, you know, it was like a mix between Jesus and Fergie. And like, yeah. there was it's angel like- wings. For a moment, I took on the shape of a unicorn. It was pretty awesome. So I just wanted to that see that. Oh, uh, thanks again for just being awesome. And I'm super excited for you guys. I really am. And I want to finish the podcast by asking you, what do you want your next breakthrough moment to be? Um, I know yours. You want uh, the thing about your what's on your your bucket list about the artist? Is that your breakthrough moment? 
like at an award show. Oh, so I mean, one of yeah, that's way out there, but probably not next. <laughs> Maybe next. It, well, my immediate next one is to us make a single dollar of revenue. Well, that's uh, the first the little baby one. Like, let's make a dollar. Um, that's going to happen soon. But to your point, that's a very, very good one. Like I, one of my goals is to have someone get on stage and just say, hey, like make me a part of that list of people they think. I don't know why. Like, I don't need to be the guy getting the award. I just <laughs> need to be like, hey, thank you for the, and then throwing my name in there. I, I, I'm playing a gig on Saturday, so I could just I could thank you. On oh, Saturday. yeah, <laughs> Have someone give you any award, just be like, this is the great song of the night award, and then give it to you, and then just thank me, and then I, I'm, I'm done. That and will been, happen on our first meeting. I'll just show up to you, and I'm like, I just want to thank you. <laughs> I could have done this without you. Yes. And that's what, I mean, mine's around the same, because it's, but on a smaller scale, it's just, we've created this app just to like connect two people or three or however many. And they write the first, like we're still mm-hmm. waiting on that. Those two people who meet on the app and then they contact and say, I got a sync because of this, or I got a placement right. because of this, or an artist picked up my song. And we've already had a few little successes like that, but it's nothing to the level that like the next one I want yeah. to be is get that phone call. where like, if it wasn't for your app, like I would have never met this person and we would never have the song on the radio or yeah, on yeah. this TV film. So that's, a good one. that's, uh, that's what I want to happen next. Heck yeah. And you know what? I want to just add to those wishes for you guys that instead of just making a dollar of revenue that you guys make an abundant financial payback for all the effort you put in. And also because I think that there's something beautiful about being rewarded for good work. You know, it's not, it's okay to want to benefit off of the hard work you put into something. So I hope you guys are swimming in abundance. Next chapter. I hope that too. I was just going the next one. But yes. What if the next one could be like a ton of dollars? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) If you ask for a dollar, you get a dollar, Kevin. Okay. No, yeah. Yeah. It's just, uh, going to turn the tap on. (laughs) Uh, thank you guys so much this has been such a pleasure thank you this is awesome great to uh, see you and great to meet you stay up to date with Kevin and Richard on Instagram at we should write sometime w-e-s-h-o-u-l-d w-r-i-t-e-s-o-m-e-t-i-m-e that's a long one. I had to give you a long one just for the end. You just, know what I mean? Just for old time's sake. Cheers, Ariel. Just Ariane. for old time's sake. <laughs> you know I can never do these. Um, for behind the scenes of our upcoming season two and information of season two guests, join us on Instagram at breaking through underscore the podcast or on TikTok at breaking through podcast. And once again, I'd like to thank Matt C of Matt C and Co for his amazing graphic design work. If you need any graphics or branding, head on over to mattc.co. That's M-A-T-T-S-E-E dot C-O. Another huge thank you to Mike Robinson for being our podcast godfather. You can listen to his podcast, Food on Tour, on all major streaming services. And thank you to Fabio Campadelli, who generously gifted me plugins that were game changers for me during the editing and production process. We'd also like to say a big thank you to Barnabas Shaw, who created our intro music. If you like what you hear, check him out on Instagram at B-A-R-N-A-B-A-S dot S-H-A-W. 
We're so grateful for our listeners. Thank you for being with us this season. It really meant the world to us. We hope this season has made you realize all the things you've already accomplished in your life and that the small wins are everything. We'll see you next season. Season two, can you believe it? I can't even believe it. I'm so excited. We have some great, great guests lined up so far. So definitely stick with us. 